doing today? That's what I like to hear. Hey, we are so glad that you get to be a part of our first ever youth service here at Eastside with us. We're just pumped up and excited for what God has for us today. Can we give it up for the band? Incredible job leading our youth week in and week out. You can't help but get excited. Man, we just want to say again, welcome to our service tonight. I am so thankful that you're here. Uh, I've been looking forward to our student takeover weekend for months. Silas and I have been looking forward to that with our team. And to see it all happen tonight is, is truly a dream in youth ministry come true. And so thank you for being a part of that with us tonight. Before we get into some things, I want to take a moment and recognize anybody in this room that's fifth through 12th grade. There's students in this room that serve tonight, students that are a big part of our ministry. You saw them at the doors, you saw them in the commons, you saw them up front here, worshiping. They're scattered throughout the auditorium. If we could give it up for all our students tonight. Come on. They're amazing. And your families are amazing. We're so glad we get to partner with every family in this room to make tonight possible. God's gonna do some incredible stuff. I can't wait. Hey guys, my name is Silas Scroll. I'm the middle school and families pastor here at Eastside Christian Church. Uh, my wife and our kids, we moved to the area of June of last year, and it's just been incredible. It's been an incredible journey, and we've loved every second. I got a picture of us on the screen here. This is my wife, Caroline, and we have a one-year-old and a five-year-old named Sadie and Piper. So man, we're just really glad to be here, and we're pumped up for everything God has for tonight. Silas, uh, we're so glad that you're part of our staff, so glad that you're part of our team. If I haven't met you yet, my, my name is Luke Winger. I'm the high school pastor here at Eastside. I've been at Eastside for two and a half years, uh, moved to Indiana about eight and a half years ago, and I absolutely love this church. I love our family here, and I love what God is doing. This is my wife, Michelle. We've been married for eight years. Our daughter's Ireland, Finley, and Holland. They're seven, six, and 10 months, and I, we're just so blessed to be a part of the Eastside family. And guys, again, thank you so much for being here with us this week. And I also want to say a welcome to our online crowd. We love you. You're part of our family. Let's give it up for our online community tonight. Come on. I don't know about you guys, but uh, I uh, was born and raised in a very, very warm area. I know it gets hot here in Indiana, but nothing compared to Kansas, okay? That's where I was born and raised, and when it gets hot there, it gets humid, it gets windy, and it is just, it's, it's a barn burner for like four or five months of the year. But I remember back one summer when I was about eight or nine years old, I was so excited for my first ever motocross race, okay? I know I don't look the part, and the students here believe that too, but I actually raced dirt bikes, or at least I tried, and uh, my brother, he trained me. My brother, Shane, he trained me. We had a, a dirt bike course at home where we had jumps and turns and all this stuff, and so we would train day in, day out. I had all the gear. I had my own bike with my number on and everything, all for the moment when I would have my first ever motocross race. And I remember seeing my brother Shane do the big races. I remember seeing him take the big jumps and, and, and compete against people right next to each other in motocross racing. It was crazy, and this was my first race. And I remember being at the starting line and just like revving that engine up, waiting for the gun to fire to go and to win the race. Like it was my goal. I was gonna win that race that day. And I started out pretty good, all right? I started out pretty good. And uh, I got around my first turn or two, and I was in the thick of the pack. And then I came up to my first jump. 
all right? And when I say a jump, if you haven't done motocross racing before or you haven't watched it before, sometimes the jumps get a little bit high, okay? I'm talking I got about 15 to 20 feet up in the air, and I had never done a jump like that before. So I thought I was trained up, but I really wasn't ready for what, what was happening. So I take that first jump, and oh my goodness, the adrenaline, the energy, the excitement, like... I'm up in the air and there's people next to me and I'm like, this is crazy. And then I remember as I got to the top of the jump, as I started to come down, I was like, yeah, this landing ain't gonna work. This landing ain't gonna work. And I kind of started to shake a little bit and I, I knew my bike was not gonna be in the position it needed to be to land. And at that moment, Right before I hit the ground, I bailed off my bike. I bailed off the bike, did a couple somersaults. I don't know how I didn't break any bones, um, but I cried for quite a while after that. Uh, my bike was ruined, at least for a time. My handlebars were all bent in, and um, I didn't end up finishing the race. And, you know, I was 10 seconds in. But I remember that race being the most exciting, adrenaline-pumping, um, just moment in my, my early life that I was more excited than I'd ever been. And I don't know about you guys, if you guys have had moments like that in your life or you've had things in your life that put you into a state of moving forward and, and got you so excited, there was nothing else in your way. But that's how I felt on that dirt bike on that, in that race. That's how I felt because my life was active, it was full, my, my, my spirit was in motion. Like I was just ready to conquer anything that came my way. And you know, as I think about that day, and I think about the state of being so excited and, and filled up with something that you just can't even put into words, that state of motion, I thought about that in regards to our faith. And I don't know if you've thought about something in your life before that brought you so much excitement and energy and adrenaline and how you relate that to your faith, but I thought about that when it comes to my faith and if my faith is active in my life. And so fast forward 24 years, last summer, August 2022, Silas, myself, the rest of our youth leadership team, we started to ask God what it is that he wanted for our student ministry. What it is that he wanted, what God wanted, not what we wanted, for us to go to a deeper place with him. And we sought God in that, we prayed, uh, we, we met together, we just poured out our heart to God and to each other, and, and you know, thing after thing after thing was coming to our minds, but ultimately, what, what we felt like is God was trying to show us that the heart for the next generation is a faith that's in motion. It's a faith that's active. It's a faith that's living, and it's moving, and it's unstoppable. We felt like God was teaching us that the next generation, the generation of today, the church of today in our young people needs a faith that's in motion, a faith that's real, that's active, that's moving. So we began to pray through that, God, what do you want us to do with this feeling of putting our faith into action? God, how do we answer the question, how do we disciple a middle schooler, a high schooler, a young person in their faith so that their faith will be active so that they'll reach their friends with the gospel in the same way that they were reached. And as we did that, we, we felt so confidently that God revealed two incredible truths to us. And these truths, church, were so, so powerful. 
Like we have felt God move through this and have built what God's been doing over the past six months in our student ministry on these truths. The first truth is this. The gospel can't be watered down. The gospel can't be watered down. And, and what I mean by that is, is we felt like God was showing us that the way that we live, the way that we carry ourselves, the way that we lead the student ministry and, and what we want middle schoolers and high schoolers to know and believe, guys, like that that is about a, a gospel that's real, a gospel that transforms lives, a gospel that changes the heart of someone, a gospel that's foundational to what we do as a student ministry. We've never wanted to be a student ministry that just does the fun things and the big events, but we've wanted to go deeper with God. And, and we just sense God was saying, man, don't water down my gospel because here's the truth about the gospel, church. The gospel is the same gospel that it was in the beginning. The gospel is the same gospel that God brought to us because he loved us. God is God. His power is his power. The gospel is the same power that brought 3,000 people to Jesus at the day of Pentecost through the preaching of God's word. The gospel is the same power that converts someone's heart and their life from darkness to life. The gospel is the same power that brought many of us, hopefully all of us, to our knees before Jesus because of what he did for us on the cross and what we celebrate because of how he gave us new life. It's the gospel that changes the heart of young people, of middle schoolers, of high schoolers, God reveals us that the gospel can't be watered down. He said, do not get away from this. Make this a vital part of your student ministry. And the second thing that we felt like God was revealing to us was this. Active faith requires obedience to Jesus. And that's why I go back to that story about uh, the, 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 the dirt bike, uh, something that was moving, motion taking place, excitement, energy, that is something that's active. In the same way, God wants us to have an active faith that's obedient to Jesus. Hopefully every student that's in this room that's been a part of our student ministry, that's been a part of life groups and services and events and everything we do has seen that we want them to live as a disciple of Jesus. We want them to have an active faith. And we want you to know that as the church that backs up the young people here at Eastside, that we're committed to not watering down the gospel. We're committed to living an active faith that requires obedience to Jesus. We see examples of that throughout scripture. Abraham, he was obedient to God in faith alone because he went to the point of sacrificing his own son, of giving his own son back to God because of his trust in God. We saw in Moses, he was obedient to God, went back to get the people, God's people out of Egypt, and Moses doubted himself more than anybody I've ever heard of doubt themselves. He doubted his voice, he doubted his calling, he doubted what he could do, but he had to be obedient to God. He had active faith. You see, church, active faith, a faith that's moving, it's in motion, it can take the next generation. It is taking the next generation that's here tonight to deeper places with God. And it can do the same thing for you because God can change hearts. It's God that transforms our lives. And Silas is gonna share with you a little bit about why active faith really matters. Yes, I had the privilege of sharing a story with our middle school students 
a few weeks ago a story from my own personal life, and this story is a little bit embarrassing, but I want to share it with everybody today, and I hope, my prayer is, is that it helps demonstrate why motion and putting your faith in motion is so important. And does anyone have an older sibling in here, an older sibling that you like, man, you wanted to be better than them? Like you were jealous of them because they were better at you at sports. Maybe if you're younger in here, they were better at you at like a video game or something. Or maybe they were better at an instrument, whatever it was. Maybe you had an older sibling that you kind of looked up to, but you were a little jealous of. Like they could always, you know, wrestle you more. They could beat you. They could, you know, at, at sports, they would whip your butt at basketball. All of us have some sort of older sibling or someone like that we look up to, and we're like, man, I wish I could have beaten my older sibling at something, at just one thing. And for me, I got really jealous of my brother that he could swim. And I remember we would go to the pool, and I grew up in, in Georgia, which is another state that's very warm in the summertime, so going to our neighborhood pool was a regular part of what we did on a weekly basis throughout the summer. And I remember my brother would be in the deep end with all his friends playing volleyball, playing Marco Polo, all those fun pool games, and I would be so jealous. And I'd be like, Mom, I'd be tugging on her shirt. I'm like, Mom, why can't I go in the deep end too? And she'd say, sorry, because you can't swim. And my dad's like, my dad's like, boy, how many times did I tell you you are going to drown in that water? I'm like, I didn't care, though. I wanted to swim. I wanted to be like my older brother. And I was so stinking jealous that I remember thinking in my head, I was six years old at the time, and I was thinking, I'm like, you know, in cartoon movies, the characters can just like walk underwater and breathe fine, so I don't get what the big deal is. So while my mom was reading a magazine, I snuck past her, and I sprinted, and I jumped into the deep end, and I immediately realized I made a huge mistake. I sank straight to the bottom, and I remember in that moment, I was like, I don't want to be SpongeBob anymore. I don't want to be uh, any sort of, you know, aquatic cartoon character. And I jumped off, pushed off from the bottom, just enough to flail above the water for a sec to get a quick gasp of air, and I would sink to the bottom again, just to push up from the bottom and desperately fail, flail my arms, try to yell help, try to get a breath of air, but I would sink once again. And I remember it was about maybe the third or fourth time I did this process, I was totally gassed. I was out of energy, and I was like, man, I am totally done for. This is it. I don't even know if I'd be here today. And I started to sink, but like something out of a movie, I felt two arms wrap behind me and grab me, pull me up out of the water and set me on the edge. And it was my older brother, Zach. And he was making fun of me the whole time. He's like, oh, the lifeguard almost jumped in and saved you. That would have been so embarrassing. And he was making fun of me, and I was like, man. But I tell you that story to show you this point. If my brother had not come along, I would have been done for. I was totally dependent upon somebody coming to save me because I couldn't save myself. And how many of us have family members, coworkers, if you're a student in here, someone on your team, someone in your class, someone you know who does not know Jesus, and we know that they are hopelessly lost unless they fi Jesus finds them and they come to Christ. But we do nothing sometimes because it makes us uncomfortable. It actually reminds me of a story in the Bible about the paralyzed man in the Gospel of John. And he sat beside the pool of Bethesda for nearly four decades. And I want to go ahead and read it together as a church. John chapter 5 verse 1. It says this. Afterward, Jesus returned to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish holy days. Inside the city near the sheep gate 
was the pool of Bethesda with five covered porches. Crowds of sick people, blind, lame, or paralyzed, lay on the porches. And one of the men laying there had been sick for 38 years. When Jesus saw him and knew he'd been ill for a long time, he asked him, would you like to get well? I can't, sir, the sick man said, for I have no one to put me in the pool when the water bubbles up. Someone else always gets there ahead of me. And Jesus told him, stand up, pick up your mat and walk. And instantly the man was healed. He rolled up his sleeping mat and he began walking. Now maybe you've grown up in church your whole life and you've heard this story many, many times. Or maybe this is your first time ever hearing this story and you're like, that was really weird. I want to explain it for a minute. Basically, there was this legend that there was this pool and there would be people from all over the place with physical ailments, sicknesses, disabilities, deformities, and they would come around this pool called the Pool of Bethesda because legend had it that if you could be the first one into the water, and I don't know what it looked like, it could have been a fountain, it could have been like a sprinkler, it could have been like jacuzzi hot tub bubbles, I don't know, I like to imagine it that way, but if someone could get in there first and be the first person to touch the water that was moving, they would somehow supernaturally be healed. And I can't help that these people were so desperate, and the paralyzed man in the story was so desperate that he just hoped that maybe someone would help him in, and you know, he tried a lot of things and nothing was working. He, I'm sure he prayed many days, nothing was working, and he was just so desperate that he was willing to try anything, and for nearly four decades, he was never able to get in in time. And we see in the story that Jesus was the answer I remember the first time I heard this story, I was actually in Sunday school, and I remember I was ticked off because we had this thing called a flannel gram. Does anyone know what that is? A flannel graph? It was kind of like a felt board that was like in Sunday school, and this sweet old lady at our church would tell us Bible stories, and they would put like little cloth characters up on this felt board to teach us different Bible stories. And I remember this story in particular, there was like this one big sticker thing that was like the crowd of people walking by and ignoring this paralyzed man. And I was like, man, I was ticked off. I wanted to take that thing and rip it right off the felt board because I'm like, man, how do you walk past somebody for 40 years and never stop to help them once? I was plum mad. And I remember thinking of this story this week and I'm like, man, the older I get, the more I realize I'm more like that crowd of people than I realize. And I don't know if you can relate to me, but chances are you can. Because there's many people I walk past that I know for a fact do not know Jesus. Um, There's many people in my life I know for a fact that are hopeless without him. And I've probably passed by them most of my life. But I don't really like getting uncomfortable. And I can't help but think that those people for 40 years didn't help that man because they didn't want to get uncomfortable. And they said nothing. Guys, this is a struggle for everyone. This is something that all of us deal with, but this story shows us that there's a lot of stake when we don't take our passion for Jesus and we don't put it into action. And I, can, I believe 100% that Eastside Christian Church has passion for Jesus, amen? I believe 100% when I see you guys worshiping, when I see you fellowshipping in the commons, it is apparent that you have a passion for the bride of Christ, you have a passion for Jesus, But if there never has come a point in your life that your passion for Jesus has moved into action and motion for Jesus, chances are we're more fans of Jesus than we are followers 
of Jesus. And that's something that I wrestle with each and every day. Because faith without works is dead. If we want to see results in the kingdom, I believe it takes two things. Here is when kingdom results happen. The first is our passions and our commitment for Jesus. This is the first ingredient here. This is our worship week to week. This is our quiet time with God where we are in prayer. We are reading God's word. And we feel so close to God, it feels like he's in the room right beside us. This is the times in your life where you have a powerful testimony about how Jesus Christ came through for you in your life. This is your passion and commitment for Jesus. So kingdom results happen when we take our passion and commitment for Jesus and we combine it with faithful obedience to God to live out his mission. There has to be faith that leads to action. There has to be faith in Christ that leads to motion. And when that happens, we see something special. Jesus shows up, and there is kingdom impact. And today, Luke wants to share just a little bit of how we've seen this come true in our own student ministry. Thanks be to Jesus. You know, I love that reminder that Silas gave us with that story about what active faith looks like, a faith that God can work through to do things that we could never imagine. As we were uh, praying over this last fall about what God wanted us to do in student ministry, where he wanted to take our students, this generation of students, we saw that God wanted us to be outward focused. God wanted us to seek people that didn't know Jesus, like the lame man, like he wanted us to take more opportunities to find the lost, to find the hurting, to find those who felt like they were outcasts or pushed away from Jesus and his church. And as we prayed through that and, and, and we looked at, man, God, what opportunities can we have to do that? What opportunities can we give our students, our middle schoolers, our high schoolers to do that? We saw that, that, that God wanted to work in a way not only of us teaching that, but opportunities to actively live that out. So starting at the beginning of the year, in January, we, we started a series in our student ministry. Uh, uh, many students in here know what this series is all about. It was called Motion. And it was all about putting your faith into action. And, and everything we did over the course of January was leading up to an opportunity for our students, the next generation of kingdom leaders, of world changers, to put their faith into motion. We wanted to give them an opportunity to do that, an opportunity where they could engage with their lost friends, an opportunity where they could bring their lost friends to hear about Jesus and why he wanted to save them. And as we begin to teach through that, students begin to get excited about that. I mean, I already see it in the eyes of our students tonight. They're thinking about the wave that was building up for what we called Motion Night. So we got ready for this event called Motion Night. It was, it was a one-night event, January 22nd, that was designed simply for this church to reach lost students with the gospel. And we told our students all month long, hey, this event, it's not for you. It's, it, you're gonna have fun, but this event isn't built for you to just come back to. It's built for those who need Jesus. It's built for your friend that doesn't have somebody sitting by them at lunch. It's built for the person who has been going through hard things over the past several months. It's built for your friend that maybe is a lot different from you when it comes to your faith in Jesus. 
And we begin to see students invite their friends. We saw things happen in lunchrooms at schools. We saw FCA groups get excited about taking invitations out to their friends for motion night because I believe God was stirring something in the lives of our students. He was stirring something inside of their hearts that there was gonna be something that God was gonna do that we couldn't put words to. And then we came to it, motion night, January 22nd. Many of you that are here this weekend and listening to us online, you've already heard about motion night a little bit last week. We gave just a snippet of what God did. But what I wanna do is I wanna tell you about some of the the beautiful things that happened that night because of our students here at Eastside. At motion night, we had over 220 students show up to be a part of what God was doing at motion night. More than twice as many students are here on a typical weekend. We, we saw a ratio of a student bringing a friend to motion night. And because of that, we had over 120 guests at motion night, many of which had never stepped foot in Eastside Christian Church and many of which probably weren't attending a church. So we saw students bring their friends, invite their friends. I mean, I remember talking to some students that said, hey, I invited this friend, and then I asked, hey, who invited you? Actually, this friend invited me, and this friend invited me, and this friend, it was like a chain reaction. God was just blowing it up. God was doing amazing things at Motion Night. All these students here, we had over 60 adults serving at Motion Night, many of which took four, six, eight hours of their day. Maybe some of them even served countless hours behind the scenes before Motion Night to get ready to invest into the next generation. And I remember talking to students at motion night in that following week about the invitation to their friends. And I remember asking them, hey, was it hard? Was it difficult to invite your friend and, and do everything you could to get your lost or hurting friend in motion night? And I kept hearing the same thing over and over and over. They said, it just took an invitation. They said, I, I didn't know inviting somebody to hear about Jesus was gonna be, was gonna be as easy as this. I, I always thought... Proclaiming my faith, living my faith was hard because the world is so different and the world kind of pushes that away in my school, in my workplace around me. But I kept hearing, we kept hearing from students that 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 invitation was all it took. That text, that social media share, sitting by that person at lunch. And because of that, God began to move at motion night. You've probably already heard some of the things that God did, but, but let, let me tell you some of the things that you probably don't know yet. We had students out in the commons, hundreds of students, just enjoying being together. And what I loved about that is I could look out and see, man, they're here for one purpose, and they don't even know what's coming yet. 30 minutes, 45 minutes, an hour before the service, students were arriving here because they were excited about motion night. Students were fellowshipping together, playing games, hanging out. And then on the mark, on 6.30, it was like we hit that that starting line like when I was on the dirt bike. Everybody rushed into the gym, rushed up to the front, grabbed a chair as quick as they could to the front. And then we started worship. And guys, I've been a part of some amazing worship here at Eastside. In this room, in student ministry over there, I've never seen anything like that. We had students putting their hands in the air. We had students on their knees. We had students during songs gathering with their friends and just like praying with them and like pouring out their heart to God. And like, I was just trying to just stand back and just watch it. 
Can't even put words to what God was doing. God was moving in our worship. God was moving that motion night. We came to a point where I had the opportunity to share the gospel. Again, motion night was just about the lost. It was about kids, middle schoolers, high schoolers that didn't, didn't know Jesus yet, hadn't chosen him to be their savior, or had walked away from God, needed that recommitment. We just, we made that explanation. This is why God loves you. This is who Jesus is. And students were locked in. We wondered, we're like, oh man, hundreds of students tonight. It's gonna be chaos, right? It's gonna be, students were locked in. They were just ready to hear from God. Preaching God's word. We go back into worship. We come out. We have a moment where kids can make a decision. And when I say make a decision, they had opportunity to go talk to an adult leader, someone that could counsel them, pray with them, talk to them about, hey, what decision you wanna make tonight? Do you wanna recommit your life to Jesus? Have you walked away from Jesus? Do you need to take a next step in your faith? Do you need to start serving in your church, whether it's east side or somewhere else? And for some, have, have you chosen Jesus as your savior? Have you made that decision to follow Jesus? We go into the next song, and uh, it, was, it was just incredible. We had, a, we had a baptismal in our gym, right up by the front of the stage, a little bit off center. Big old horse tank filled up with water, and it was freezing cold, okay? <laughs> it was freezing. But we had that up there for students to give their life to Jesus after they talked to a leader, after they had some counsel and some prayer. And as we made that challenge for students to take that next step, giving their lives to Jesus, recommitting, um, taking that next step, students started to just go in droves toward the back, finding leaders. They'd grab their friends with them. They're praying, seeking God. We're worshiping. And then we see it one after the other, after the other, come up to the tank, give their life to Jesus. I wish I could show you every picture of every student that gave their life to Jesus that night. I wish I could show you the, the students in our ministry that were cheering their friends on, that gathered around the tank without us even saying anything about it. We were just gonna keep worshiping and, and you know, while people gave their life to Jesus and we kind of expected kids to like just keep getting excited for they all go over toward the baptism tank and they start cheering on their friends. They start embracing their friends. They were celebrating what God was doing. 28, 28 middle schoolers and high schoolers gave their lives to Jesus that night. Can we give it up for Jesus for that? Twenty-eight. A few of us on our youth staff, we, anytime we would, after the, the night, would talk about things that happened or any things that were like, man, I, I don't know if we do that same thing again. Anytime we'd come to something that was like, I don't know about this, we'd just say 28. That's what God did. 28 and countless more that recommitted their life to Jesus, many of which are in this room with us right now. And I share all that with you not to just build up something we did. Not to just show you, man, we, we did an event and a lot of kids got to share that with you because students today are putting their faith into motion. Students today are living out their faith like I've never seen in youth ministry before. Let me tell you about one student before I get out of the way for a bit. He's here tonight. His name is Tate. 
Tate's a senior at Charlestown High School, and uh, he's been a part of this church for a few years. I think one of our, our students here that's been here for a while actually was kind of part of helping him get connected to Jesus. And, uh, anyways, Tate kind of caught wind earlier in the fall of what God was doing with our vision. Before motion, I was a thing at all that students knew about it. Tate saw that what we were doing was we were trying to reach more kids. And we had this big attendance drive, bring your friends, bring your friends to student ministry, bring your friends to life group. And Tate just grabbed a hold of that. Each week, one, two, three friends, one after the other after the other. And I'm like, man, Tate is like, he is all in. I'm glad I don't see him right now or else I'd, I'd be done talking because I just couldn't hold it in. Um, but Tate was like one, yeah, one after the other after the other. And, and, and the response I was seeing from that was like, man, they wanted to come back. And we've had other students that are here and that are gonna be here this weekend. Man, they, they've been doing the same thing and it's incredible when that wave is caught and active faith is lived out. And, and Tate, he started inviting friend after friend after friend. And then we come to motion week and I see Tate with, some more people, and I see Tate with some of the people that have been coming because of his invita invitation weeks before. And I see them worshiping Jesus. And guys, I, sometimes as, as a young man, if, if you're young, especially later in your teenage years, sometimes it can, it can be hard to like not worry about what other people think about you. It can be hard. But I remember seeing Tate and his friends all out for Jesus that night. And then the moment we get to the, the end, people are giving their lives to Jesus, and I see, I see Tate's friends giving their lives to Jesus. I see one after the other after the other in the baptismal. I see Tate behind the baptismal baptizing them. I was like, that's it. That's active faith. That's a faith that believes in the, the lost that believes that God requires us to obey him, to care for the lame, to care for the sick, to care for the hurting. That's what Tate lived out. God started to work through people like Tate. God's never stopped working in the next generation. And I believe he's stirring something incredible here, and I have a question for you. As Silas comes back up, what would our future east side look like if you came along? Then came along the next generation by putting your faith into motion too. I've been uh, so thankful in my years of being a student minister that, you know, the more and more I see students living for Christ, the more I realize that these students here, they're not the church of tomorrow, they're the church of today. And they're living out the mission that God has called on their life, and it's an uphill battle. But when you see what God has done, when, when I was at Motion Night, I saw the gym packed out from front to back. I, I saw all those amazing things that Luke got to share with us, seeing 28 students in the last 14 days give their lives to Jesus in baptism. Like, you can't help but be excited for what God is doing. You can't help but be pumped up for that. But along with that comes a question, and I think now is the time more than ever that we as the church, not men's ministry, women's ministry, student ministry, adults, children's ministry, early childhood, but the church, now is the time more than ever to come together and say, how do we come around this new church of today and how do we support them? 
How do we encourage them? How do we affirm them in the calling that God has placed on their life? Because it is tough for them right now, and they're facing a battle I can't even imagine, and there's a lot at stake. How do we keep them faithful when they go to college? In fact, the Barna Association group, uh, they have shown that 70% of Christian high school students will leave the faith by the time they get through college. And I wanted to look at that remaining 30%, like what made their faith so sticky? What, what made them stick with it through college? And here's the biggest factor right here. They had a godly adult role model in their life who was authentic. They had an adult in their life who took the calling that Jesus had placed on them seriously. They valued them as the church of today, not just a goofy kid, and I get it, kids can be goofy sometimes, but they valued them as a part of the church. And I don't want to miss this word right here, they were authentic. Meaning they, they didn't just know the right things about Jesus or say the right things about Jesus, but they lived it out in their walk with Christ, and they modeled the mission and the adventure God has called them to. And I know this is true because I know someone, I've seen it happen. He was a young man, he was, a, he was actually a freshman in high school, and this freshman in high school, he grew up in church, he went to youth group, went to a private Christian school, and one year at summer camp, at church camp, he was at Panama City Beach in Florida for church camp, and he felt the calling on God's life, he felt the calling on his life from God to go into the ministry to preach the gospel. And he was so excited, he wanted to share it with his friends, and that next day he went to school, he, he went after summer break, and he was like, I cannot wait to share, God has done amazing things in my life. I cannot wait to share this with you. And he shared it with them, and like many friends do, he gave them a hard time, and was like, man, you, you don't even, uh, you know, you get shaky in front of 25 people in speech class. How are you going to get in front of a church? And they kind of batted him down a little bit, and... That next Sunday, he was like, well, I'm, I'm going to tell, I was, I'm a little bummed, but I'm going to go tell the adults in my life at church and see what they have to say. So he mustered up the courage once again to tell the adults in his life, hey, I feel called into the ministry. And they said, well, just keep in mind, pastors don't make that much money. And some of those missions you're talking about, those are in dangerous places. I would leave the adventure for someone else. And that person I knew almost walked away from that calling God had placed on their life because he was confused. Because in the Bible, the examples he saw in Scripture, they were willing to give it all for Jesus. They were willing to give 100% no matter what, even if it cost them their lives. And they went on these adventures that were dangerous sometimes, but it was part of the mission that Jesus wanted them to live. But when he went to church, they said, leave the adventure for someone else. And he almost walked away, but that was until... He met Jeremy. Jeremy was his small group leader. And, and Jeremy is kind of like a life group leader like we have here at Eastside. He was with him for several years as he moved through high school as a student. And he was the first adult in his life other than his parents who affirmed the calling that Jesus placed on his life. He encouraged him. He valued him and looked at him as the church is today. He even went to coffee with him and he took him out to dinner and taught him, hey, this is how you prepare a message series. This is how you preach. This is how you overcome stage fright and you focus on the importance of the message because this message is so important that nothing else matters. Jeremy meant the world to that person I knew because it was me. It was me. And I thank God for Jeremy. 
I thank God for Jeremy that in 2009, he looked past a goofy freshman kid like me and he saw what Jesus could do through him. And I just show you this because it only took one adult in my life who believed that Jesus could do anything, could take anyone to do the mission that he's called and my faith stuck. My faith stuck because that one person in my life. So my question I have for you, church, today is who is God calling you to be a Jeremy to? Which one of these students here is God calling you to be a Jeremy to? Maybe for some of you that means you, like, you realize, yes, I know high school students are crazy, I know middle school students are even crazier, but God's calling me to be a life group leader. I get it, I know they're crazy, but it means the world to them when they have an adult in their life who values them as the church of today. Maybe for you being a Jeremy is that student you already have in your life and maybe they're not even here. Maybe it's a a grandchild, maybe it's a niece or a nephew. Maybe it's a son or a daughter, but God is calling you to be a Jeremy today to them. Maybe being a Jeremy for you is simply out in the commons giving students high fives and making them feel welcome when they come here because it makes a world of difference when they are validated here in this place. Jeremy, if you ever watch this, I just want to thank you so much. Jeremy Brummel, you mean the world to me. Who are you going to be a Jeremy to? Gen Z craves two things more than anything else. They crave authenticity and they crave to be part of something bigger than, than themselves. And I can't think of a better opportunity than that than the mission of Jesus Christ. The mission he's placed on us through the Great Commission and coming alongside these students, encouraging them, is huge for this next generation. I believe that. So what steps is God calling you to take? Where is God asking you to put your faith into motion? Let's put our faith into motion for this next generation. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for every person in this room. I want to thank you for everything you've been doing at our church here at Eastside, and everything you will continue to do. God, I pray that you soften the hearts of every person in this room. And if you're calling someone to be a Jeremy right now in this moment, they would overcome all fear and they would just put their faith in the motion. God, I know it's scary, but I pray you challenge every person in this room to have an active faith. Lord Jesus, if there's anyone in here who's not even taken the first step by giving their lives to you through baptism, I pray that today would be the day they'd find a pastor, they'd find a friend, say, will you go with me? And God, I pray that we could reach this next generation together. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen.